This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello, good afternoon. Um, thank you for joining us once again on Dojo Live. Today, Wednesday, the 27th of March, 2019, where we talk about the future directly from those who are creating it. My name is Kim, Kim Blantis. I'm broadcasting live from one of Nearsoft's offices in Hermosillo, Sonora, Mexico. Joining me are two of my teammates, the regulars here, Carlos Ponce and Tulio Saragusa. Hi, guys. Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, so today we're going to be discussing cryptocurrency and more specifically, the business value of blockchain. Um, here to tell us more about this is John Mayers, the CEO of Blockchain Business Solutions. Welcome to Dojo Live, Scott. Uh, glad to be here. Perfect. Thank you. So, Scott, to get us going today, why don't you please share us a bit more about yourself as well as your background? Sure. So, I started my uh, undergrad graduation <laughs> with Citibank's executive training program. So, I had the pleasure of doing a four-year program with them in technology and opening Citicorp's technology center um, for object-oriented and advanced technologies. So, I had an opportunity to really get some great fundamental training uh, got to work on projects like um, a global customer server, replacing our general ledger, supporting the European, uh, European monetary unit implementation uh, wow. across Europe. So I uh, really got involved with currency and governance and, and global trading because I did a big project as well around global trade finance uh, early on in my career. So really hardcore technology. And I've helped now five companies go through exits to EMC and Accenture and another number of other companies. And also done a lot of work in merger and acquisitions with Bowman's bank and Barnett bank and nation's bank and bank of America. So long background in FinTech, uh, started hardcore technology, got a master's in project management, and then my MBA in international business. So you were like the currency guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, started with uh, fiat currencies and, and graduated to now uh, a lot of work in blockchain. All right, perfect. We have to come up with a cool nickname for you, I think. Um, so let's talk Sounds specific. Sounds like a rock star to me. I know. <laughs> do you have a nickname out there? I mean, if you do, uh, please none share. That play, none, none that I can share online. <laughs> <laughs> sure you can. We're pretty relaxed here at yourself. <laughs> I see you went to Baylor. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I did my uh, graduate work in their executive MBA program and a really fantastic program. Perfect. All Thank right. you. Thank you for your time today. But let's move on then to more specifically um, your current um, business, which is blockchain business solutions. So, what is your product and what problem are you solving? Yeah, at Blockchain Business Solutions, we do a lot of work with uh, the business side of, of blockchain. So I'm advising uh, a, a security token offering company that's uh, tying their Bitcoin, not their Bitcoin, their, their blockchain solution to mining assets. So asset-backed tokens um, to mines in Peru uh, and also oil and gas assets. And then advising another company who is raising money uh, in uh, Europe for U.S. real estate investment, uh, also using security tokens, uh, working with drone companies that are using IoT and blockchain to help first responders get drones over sites uh, before, uh, before the vehicles can even get there. So the commanders uh, on the first responders can see the site before they even arrive and know equipment they need, know how to get, uh, how to get there safely. 
and whether they need backups, whether there's people stranded, can test for uh, toxic gases. Um, so a lot of really exciting things happening in technology right now that are really improving uh, the, the future uh, and the quality of our lives. Very interesting. Congratulations. We could probably talk on not about those. I, we actually had to talk about some drone, drone technology a while back. It was really, really interesting, um, but we don't want to diverge too much. So before we continue more in this conversation today, I have to admit that I'm, I myself, um, I'm pretty um, clueless when it comes to cryptocurrency, blockchain or anything like that. And I know we've had a couple talks about this, this theme already on Dojo Live, but for those people, those viewers who are like me, clueless but curious and haven't even had the opportunity to watch the other videos yet, can you quickly just give us this cryptocurrency for dummies kind of introduction yeah really think about um, blockchain in three areas so the original use case is cryptocurrency uh, uh, developed by Satoshi Nakamoto um, you know originally to supersede our current banking structure to allow global payments uh, low-cost global payments anywhere in the world and so that was really what the foundational technology for Bitcoin. Since then, there's been Ethereum and other altcoins. You know, now there's over 2,000 created of different types of coins, different types of underlying technologies, but all built on the original Bitcoin technology stack. Then I think about it in terms of um, the blockchain technology itself being able to be used for uh, an alternative investment vehicle. So we talked about security token offerings, ICOs were big for a while and have kind of been squashed now because of regulatory issues, um, but security tokens are still alive and well. And then there's utility tokens, which are either uh, fungible or non-fungible, which is a fancy word of saying they're either all the same or they're all different. So a non-fungible token is a unique asset that has unique qualities and typically associated with a serial number. So a baseball card, right? A one of one baseball card or a one of one art piece um, is a non-fungible token. And a fungible token would be something like coins. So any coin that's identical can have the same value and it really doesn't matter what number they are. And they're minted as, as a pool and you can interchange them. So that's really the fancy name for fungible and non-fungible tokens. So the business value, the utility value, the finance value, and then obviously the, the cryptocurrency that most people know about, which is Bitcoin. Right. Um, so before we move on, I think we've got some questions coming in from some of our viewers. Um, but before we do that, let's quickly talk about the benefits then. What's the benefit of cryptocurrency? And so the real big benefit is, is to disintermediate um, trusted advisors. So you're able to essentially do point-to-point -point payments without having to go through a PayPal or go through a financial institution. That was really the original use case uh, for Bitcoin. Um, and then you get into other usability such as, you know, gaming is a really popular one right now. So let's say, and with esports, um, you have the world championship sword that was used to strike the final blow, right? In the, in the champion, the world championship of esports. that sword. Now you can put on the blockchain, right? And now you can sell it uh, on these open marketplaces like OpenSea and Akomi and, you know, all these other marketplaces that have been stood up for um, most of those are built on a standard called, you know, it's an Ethereum standard called ERC 721, which is a unique deed of trust that you can associate and tie to any digital, physical, or what we call hybrid products. 
So you've got a lot of things that are going on right now that are creating new types of businesses and new types of digital assets that weren't possible before because, um, because the requirement of a third party to manage authenticity, manage chain of custody, um, and, and now with especially the collectibles industry, we're able to do that with certainty now and open on the public on a blockchain that, that anyone can track and monitor and see um, its, its current ownership and its whole history of every transaction that has taken place. So who, who all owned it in the past? It's a very That's, fascinating thing in the world of trading and the world it is of fascinating. It makes me laugh because I remember whew, several years ago, if you watched the Big Bang Theory at all, there was that episode where like Sheldon's weapons or something get like stolen and he goes to get them back. Um, so that's now becoming like a real, like a monetized element. Scott, what's yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the interesting thing is, you know, right now, you know, all these billions of dollars are being spent on these games like Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. And but as soon as that publisher turns that game off, all of your investment is gone. Right. And my son actually played a game launched by Disney called Toontown and thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids all over the world played this game called Toontown. It was a safe environment for people to play simultaneously with characters and become a cartoon. Very, very famous title. Well, Disney shut it off one day and started to refocus their investments on Club Penguin and shut down Toontown. Well, there was a huge uproar and all these kids that invested this time and money and built their characters and their worlds out, all of it went away. My son was a big player in that game. So he called me one day and said, hey dad, CNN just called and they want to interview me and I need my parents' permission because they want to talk about the impact of this game shutting down by Disney. And what happened was a group of, a group of people got together and decompiled and rebuilt the code from scratch and relaunched it as Toontown Rewritten. Wow. And so now there's still thousands of kids playing it and Disney is, is sort of quietly allowing it to happen as long as it falls within the guidelines that they developed. And, and uh, you know, and he's become a Twitch partner and a Discord partner and, you know, he's, he's doing some cool things with it all around the gaming world that became possible. And, and they're not using uh, blockchain, but that was, that was the reason why, you know, all this time and effort and Discord and all these other games that are, you know, being launched right now. Um, if you invest all this money and they shut it down, you've lost your entire investment. So now if you can take that forward or bring a sword from one game into the next game uh -huh. and a future upgrade or a new new title, um, or you can just own this as a collectible, um, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating new uh, entire ecosystem around digital assets. Hey, Scott, I have a question. Um, I'm, I'm actually really curious. You mentioned a few projects you're working on, some amazing companies. I like the emergency responder technology. Why would I want to raise capital through a cryptocurrency versus the traditional method? What's the, up, what's the pros of doing that? Uh, you know, and what are the challenges around that? What are you seeing? There's a couple of things. So early on, the ICO world was, you know, I don't have to deal with the SEC, right? I mean, quite frankly, getting a listed product, going through an IPO process, very expensive, lots of regulations, lots of ways you can mess up. So essentially it was crowdfunding on steroids, right? So anybody could buy coins at any level that previously weren't accessible. So you're opening up your business to new markets. You're opening up your business to new investors that maybe wouldn't qualify or weren't savvy enough or aren't, you know, certified investors. So, so, you know, that vehicle allowed you to avoid a lot of the red tape, 
now the SEC's ruled and other countries and they're shutting down businesses that went that way that, that did these security offerings through an ICO that didn't follow the rules. And so a lot of those companies have been shut down. So you've seen the ICO market sort of peak 24 months ago, maybe 18 months ago, and now almost completely shut down because now there's regulations they have to comply with. And when they go through those processes, in some cases, it's almost less taxing right now um, to, to do that offering than to, um, than to go back to the traditional way. So what we're seeing, unfortunately, in the U.S. marketplace is that other countries like Malta and Alamans and, um, you know, these Estonia, like, are standing up government-friendly environments that allow you to launch your ICO or your security token offering um, with a set of regulations that are better defined so you can stay out of trouble. But then in both cases of the ones I'm advising right now, they're not coming into the U.S. to allow U.S. investors to invest in them because the SEC requirements are so daunting. And so they're opening them up in these other locations and Cayman for one and then Alamans for another, um, and then offering them to the global communities for investments, which gets them access to, to, to investors and money that they wouldn't otherwise have. And it's a very elegant way to track ownership of, of the securities uh, on a blockchain because it's completely visible and transparent and you can guarantee they're not double spending or double selling those particular securities and um, and everybody can see it all the time anytime they want to and so there's a lot of really benefits to using that technology the regulators just haven't caught up to it in a lot of cases and um, and I think we'll see that change over time and until then the the, com- the countries that get ahead of it and get clear regulations like Malta and Alamans are getting business that they never would have gotten before and becoming global centers of commerce um, by being by being smart around the regulations. Do, do you think, though, that that impacted things like the ability to do OPOs now where you don't have to be an institutional investor to to do a crowdsourcing funding campaign? Do you think that had an impact on, on some of that regulation or... Or is that just a way to combat this issue through the well, traditional most, Yeah, I think a lot of those went through traditional you know, private placement memorandums, right, for initial funding, angel funding, Series A. And then as you go to larger and larger raises of funding, then there's different, different restrictions on how you sell and market your securities. And there's different regulations as far as accredited investors and things that need to come into those investment pools. And, you know, crowdfunding is a great option. It's, it's been around for microfinancing for a long time and just moving up to bigger and bigger pools. And so there's regulations around those too. There's thresholds as far as what you can raise on a crowdfunding before you have to then register to securities and the Security Exchange Commission. So um, I don't think they really necessarily, I think they're independent movements um, and they're regulated separately. Uh, but I do think that, you know, participation in, markets as a as a lower economic tier than just you know the rich getting richer right you know, it's the whole Robin Hood things how how can how can the common person participate in higher return investments right especially from a risk rated return perspective in right now only the high wealth can get into some of those deals because of the risk profiles and right. so this does open some of those up. Unfortunately, it also opens up the bad actors we've seen, right? In fact, there was an article today on MSNBC and it's talking about that um, 
you know, a lot of the coin offerings and even a lot of the exchanges are fake coin offerings and fake exchanges. A lot of people set up fake mining pools and, you know, it's sort of investor beware because anytime there's new money coming into any new investment instrument, you're going to get people pretending to have those instruments and take your money and run either setting up Ponzi schemes or just completely taking pictures of somebody else's mining farm or their assets and setting up a pretty website and you put your money in and it goes into a black hole and they put it in their bank and they disappear. So, you know, there's, you really need to do your due diligence on those space. And that's really where the, the governments are having and the SEC has so much heartburn is that there's so many bad actors, you know, they're trying to protect, you know, but in protecting it requires regulation and right. barriers. And so it's this balance that we have in our free society between, you know, freedom and protection. Kim, I'm going to pass it back to you for some of the uh, audience question, but I have one more question. You earlier mentioned how some cryptocurrency or coins are actually being backed by natural resources, minerals, et cetera. I mean, it used to be money used to be backed by gold and silver. <laughs> it's like back in the day, right? Is right. that, is that one of the trends on how they can legitimize coins? Is that something that you're seeing as a possible trend long-term where there's a backing that's actually tied to some natural resource that has value? Or is that just something that they're doing that you need? Yeah, well, the U.S. monetary system used to be backed on the gold standard, right? But if you look at the total subscription of gold instruments in the world, it's multiple times the actual gold that there is in the world. So you know, there's really not a true gold standard anymore. So it's still perceived value based on some relative notion of, of backed value. You know, the nice thing about some of these new offerings is they're actually backed, right? By either, you know, natural resources in the ground, oil and gas in the ground, or in some cases it's, it's those products in transit. Right. So they're essentially able to, in fact, here's an interesting one. So in Wyoming, a recent hackathon resulted in a business model being developed to tie tokens to cattle. Right. And so one of the challenges with cattle is that you can grow these, these, you know, these high end Angus beef and other, and the farmer doesn't actually, they can't monetize that investment until it's not only been, you know, grown and then taken and then, you know, butchered and then sold in the marketplace. And then eventually it comes back to, you know, to, and so that whole time they have to fund that investment. So they don't have liquid assets. Their, their, their business is very challenged and sometimes they have to take on a lot of debt. My parents were both farmers, grew up on farms in Iowa and, you know, the farming business was really, really hard because there wasn't liquidity to fund, you know, the whole growth process. They weren't paid on until the futures market really came in. So farmers today have to be futures market experts and they have to invest and hedge on futures or else, a, you know, bad crop, whether it be plague or lotus or, you know, a dry spell comes in, farms, farmers get wiped out. My grandfather got wiped out a couple of times from different things that, that came in. And so he didn't want my mom to be, you know, in the farming industry until my dad learned another trade um, before he could come back and work the family farm. So, you know, this allows us, in fact, last night, I was just talking about to, to some friends about really rare artifacts like guitars or art pieces. There's a company here in Dallas called Four Park that's working on over a billion dollar portfolio of art where 
you know, it's, it's great that you have it, but you can't monetize it. And banks don't lend against art because of the appraisal process and the risk factor. I've got another uh, colleague that has a ghost, uh, a 1926 um, uh, Rolls Royce. And to get, to, li- to get liquid assets, you know, against that value, you know, you have to almost sell it. But you don't want to sell it, but you have a, a, an asset that you want to be able to use and to leverage into other business transactions without tying up $1.6 million, right, in a car um, or in an art piece or in, you know, in cattle in the case of Wyoming. It allows you to free up and get access and, and use that by selling fractional shares of whatever that is. Interesting. I think we have some audience yeah. questions. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Scott, um, we have a question from actually from from one of our guys here at Mirsop and one of our developers. His name is Jorge Reyes. Jorge asks, <clears throat> well, that's I'm just, I'm just going to quote him. It's really easy to fall into the trap of the new shiny thing. How can I know if my business will truly benefit if I migrate to blockchain technology rather than stick to well-known technologies? Yeah, I think there's a lot of really, really bad decisions being made in blockchain right now because they don't have a good business case. So, you know, people are just sort of slapping blockchain on some project that they couldn't get funded before. And now it's blockchain so they can get funding for it. You know, but, you know, you have to blockchain is only valuable if you're trying to secure data um, or you're trying to transact business with multiple parties. Right. So. You know, and, and then the third one is really what we talked about around the NFTs, where you're trying to attach digital tokens to physical or, or digital items um, so that you can create liquidity and things of that nature around it. So um, so the short answer is, is that, you know, if you're not trying to work like in supply chain with multiple vendors and you need to create a trusted environment where you can transact business, your smart contracts and you're or you're not trying to i meet with startups all the time right now in fact i just met with three more this week and next week is dallas startup week and i'll meet with another 50 and you know i always ask them two questions one is what is this solution saving money so what money today is being spent that's going to go away if they invest in your blockchain solution and then the second one is if you're not going to save money then how are you going to drive new revenue that's going to increase profitability for the business if you can't answer those questions, then it's a bad use case or a bad startup because, you know, a good friend of mine who's, who's been you know, doing business for a long, long time always says, who's writing the check, right? And where's that budget coming from? Is it their operating budget? Is their growth budget? Is their business development budget? There has to be funds available for any business idea. Technology for technology's sake way before blockchain has always been a bad idea. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Scott, for your answer. Uh, we have one more from the audience from another one of our guys, another Jorge. We have many Jorge's here in the <laughs> company, Jorge Tobias. And Jorge is asking, uh, what are your opinions on the reported high energy consumption to maintain a blockchain infrastructure, especially if it's a big one like Bitcoin? Yeah, so Bitcoin mining is a fascinating topic. So, you know, right now, some estimates say it's about 30 nuclear reactors worth of energy powering Bitcoin alone right now, right? 
And so proof of work, which is the consensus mechanism that Bitcoin and Ethereum currently are still focused on, do require, um, you know, miners to do, you know, an S9 uh, ASICs machine right now does 14 trillion transactions a second, right? So it's trying to solve a math problem that is increased in complexity so that each 10 minutes it's solved, right? So that requires an enormous amount of energy. And I think the long-term future of Bitcoin depends on whether or not proof of uh, work is required to secure blockchains. So many other the alt currencies are using alternative methods to proof of work, like proof of stake or um, notary type of solution. So there's several ways that they're securing their blockchains that don't require massive consumptions of energy. The other thing that's happening is that this technology around ASICs is rapidly advancing. So, you know, the early machines could only do, you know, a million transactions or a few hundred million transactions a second. And now we're at 14 trillion transactions a second. You know, the next version is a third. You know, Samsung's entering this marketplace right now and using their engineers, right, to build specialized chips that are able to do computations at two or three times as fast and for a third of the energy. So we got this typical race of technology advancement and energy consumption, but it's always going to be an equation. So we're looking in South America at standing up a massive mining uh, co-location facility. And the reason why we chose Paraguay because it's the largest hydro, hydroelectric dam in the world, 14 gigawatts produced annually. And it's a binational dam between Brazil and Paraguay. Well, Paraguay is 6.8 million people and they have seven gigawatts of energy coming out of the dam. They can't consume all that. They consume between one and a half to two and a half gigawatts depending on the season. And they have an excess of five gigawatts of energy. They're the largest exporter of energy in the world. But by this 25 year treaty with Brazil, they have to sell it back to Brazil for a low, low cost. And so they renegotiate every time, every few years, but it's coming up on the 25 year end of the treaty. And so they're about to enter a massive negotiation of who gets what energy. So we're looking at potentially um, like other high energy companies like Caterpillar for their, um, you know, their consumption of their, their liquid, um, you know, metallurgy that they do to form their tractors, for instance, and the, and the scoops and, and the teeth that go on the scoops, you know, they need massive amounts of energy. Um, in fact, a company here in Dallas called Hensley is part of Komatsu, and they're like the third largest consumer of energy in the entire city of Dallas, and they have a fairly small footprint of, you know, 10 acres or so, um, but because they're using these arc welders. So it's, it's long, long-winded answer, but it's, the point is that you know, there are spots like Canada that has access to geoenergy and Iceland has emerged in this huge you know, cryptocurrency mining location because they have geothermal energy, 100 megawatts being produced there, which the whole country, the whole island only used 80 megawatts to begin with. So it's, it's, um, it's, really, it's really transforming and turning energy uh, that's available in certain parts of the world that couldn't get to other parts of the world and it's converting energy into coins that can now be transferred anywhere in the world. So it's becoming this sort of fascinating uh, monetization of energy and places that was really expensive to, to transfer from to areas that have low energy. Now they can turn it into Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency, transfer it, and then essentially 
turn it back into energy through investments in you know manufacturing and and uh, other energy sources. So it's creating this whole of uh, liquidity around energy in the world, as it turns out. But it, it really depends on what what consensus mechanism ends wins in the end, right? Whether it's got to be proof of work or whether proof of stake or some of these other solutions prove out over the long term as being just as secure, then Bitcoin loses out. But I still think right now Bitcoin is is going to be the dominant player for the short term. So it's here to stay. It's not going to be yeah. fast. Cryptocurrency is here forever. Um, it's going to become the government currency. You saw JPM coin recently get announced by JP Morgan Chase for their internal payment systems. Um, that will continue. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, well, Scott, I think that we're approaching, we're about to, uh, we're coming up on time. So uh, what I, before I pass it on to Kim for wrap up, uh, what I'd like to mention is simply just a quick announcement about next week for uh, you and the audience as well, of course. Uh, next week, we're going to be having, we're going to be chatting with, let's see, with uh, Jade Brandes, the CEO of Renge. This is a travel tech company, I believe. Uh, right, Tulio? Is that my correct? It's uh... no, it's um, social business networking. Oh, right, right, right. Exactly. I'm actually interviewing her in person. We're going right. to be at the Expert Dojo, which is an incubator in Santa Monica. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. Exactly, it's a geofenced networking platform. That's what it's called. And hopefully so, by then I'll have worked out my uh, LinkedIn Live. Uh, stream i couldn't get it working today yeah uh, we have that we have that activated so we'll hopefully we'll be both here and live on linkedin too so perfect we'll look forward to that too Leo. so that's next week uh so stay tuned folks for next week same day same hour same time and with that being said uh the only thing left for me to do scott is thank you so much and i'll pass it on to keep the wrap up See you next time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, once again, Scott Mayers, CEO of Blockchain Business Solutions. Scott, I think you have a talent for taking a, what could be a very complex issue and making it something that's actually very well explained and easy to understand. So I appreciate that. Congratulations. And um, before we sign off, I just wanted to say, is there any final words of wisdom that you might have for our audience today? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, like you said, blockchain's here to stay. Um, but it's really important to think about what what the real business case is and really look at, you know, whether you're saving money with the solution, which billions and trillions actually will be saved over the next you know 10 years with the implementation of blockchain. Um, and but make sure it makes sense. It's going to save you money or it's going to drive incremental revenue or else, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's probably not a good decision. And, and really work with partners that know what they're doing, because there's. You know, like any new technology, there are a lot of ways um, that uh, the things can go wrong, especially when you're talking about payment systems and wallets and exchanges. Um, you know, there's lots of exposure there if, if you don't if you're not working with the right partners. Excellent. Thank you. Words of wisdom. And if our listeners and viewers want to reach out to you, Scott, or know more, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Scott Mayers. Um, you can also just email me at scott at blockchainbusinesssolutions.io and uh, welcome any conversations and uh, hopefully I'll see some of you at Startup Week next week here in Dallas. Perfect. And that's Mayors, M-A-I-R-S, not Mayor as in the, the governmental... 
figure of a city, right? <laughs> M-A-I-R-S. Lots of ways. Yeah, and, and we'll, keep, we'll, have your, we'll have your contact info on our, on your landing page here and yeah. lot too. So yeah, it's all going to be in there. So worry we'll not. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say for the audience. For those who watch you to write it down, you'll have a click. Thanks for having me on. This is a great show and uh, honor to be a part of your uh, panels and, and discussion. Thank you great so much. Thank you. Talk to soon. Have a good Bye. rest of the day, everyone. You too, Kim. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.